Blog Talk Radio. saying support him no matter what. You don't have to like him. 
and you can call him out for the things he's done wrong, obviously. But don't sit here and and wish the worst upon him. That that's not cool. And it's just going to get you in trouble anyway. A Missouri man was arrested for making threats against him uh, just the other day. So they sent undercover operatives to take him on, of course. But you know he said the wrong things, and now he's in jail. So. You know, if you make threats against any elected official like that, you're subject to going to jail. So, you know, be careful what you say, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. They'll find you. And there's no need for, to call for that. We just need to pray him out of office. This is what I've been doing. And on another note, the show will be airing uh, at least twice a week if not three times a week. But I'm going to go to back to a more podcast format to where I don't have to be live like this. I can just pre-record it and upload it. So in the future, when I have guests on, there won't be any chat rooms or calls because they will be pre-recorded. You can listen to it live, but um, there won't be... There'll be a chat room, but there won't be any calls. So that will be the changes that we make here going forward. Okay, getting back to Ben Swan and his report on ISIS, let's get right to it before we bring Pastor Chuck on at at 12 noon today. So let's see what Ben Swan has to say in case you missed it. You can find it on YouTube. That's where I found it. And I get his emails every day. But here we go, Ben Swan talking about the origins of ISIS. وَلَقَدْ سَبَقَتْ كَلِمَتُنَا لِعِبَادِنَا الْمُرْسَلِينَ It is the most important story in the country. The next major war for the United States is with ISIS. But what media and politicians are not telling you the truth about, where ISIS came from, who created them, and why before one more dollar is spent, one more American life lost, you need to know the truth. The first step toward truth is to be informed. The name ISIS is one that every American knows by now. The biggest threat to our national security since Al-Qaeda, right? They are a brutal, savage group known for public beheadings and mass executions. They are the face of the new war on terror. Right now, the U.S. military is conducting airstrikes in Syria in a supposed attempt to take out ISIS targets. Meanwhile, the White House and military leaders are talking about possible boots on the ground in Iraq again, only three years after the war in Iraq was declared over. In fact, this war, according to former Defense Secretary Leon Panetta, could last for decades. We're looking at uh, kind of a 30-year war uh, kind of uh, history here. So who exactly is ISIS, and where did they come from? Entirely a creation of the United States' behavior in Iraq. That's how we got to where we are, because of war, because of occupation, because of torture. For answers, we traveled to Los Angeles to meet with Angela Keaton, the founder of Antiwar.com. We destabilized and wrecked Iraq. I mean, it it caused it to, to fail miserably, and that's entirely the responsibility of the United States government. There's no one else at fault there. I mean, as horrible as Saddam Hussein was, there was, you know, Iraq was not unstable. It was a functioning country as much as those sorts of things go, and it was not a particularly horrible hellhole if you were a religious minority. To understand where ISIS comes from, you have to understand two storylines. The first is what Keaton just said. When the U.S. first went into Iraq, we blew the country apart. We destroyed the government, toppled Saddam Hussein, destroyed infrastructure, and most importantly, left behind a power vacuum. One that would have never have existed had Hussein not been overthrown by the U.S. government. Daniel McAdams with the Ron Paul Institute says this is an historical fact that media just won't discuss. All of this has to do with U.S. action in the region, which destroyed the infrastructure, which destroyed Iraqi society, which destroyed the government. Uh, You had a lot of people who lived under Saddam Hussein, uh, who may not have been as, as happy as Lark's, Nevertheless, they were living somewhat normal lives. The U.S. put a government in power in Baghdad uh, that all of a sudden was, was their enemies, that treated them very, very badly. Now that is the easy part of the story. The U.S. created conditions in Iraq where ISIS could get its start. 
But here's the other storyline that you have to understand, that even with Saddam gone, ISIS still couldn't have risen to power had it not been for what happened next. ISIS actually began as a small insurgent group in Iraq in 2006. They had no money, no real ability to recruit, but they did work to create very limited problems for the U.S. military. It wasn't until 2009 that ISIS shifted its focus from Iraq, where it was largely unsuccessful in developing a foothold, and focused on the civil war in Syria. Even there, ISIS struggled to gain any foothold, because the two largest groups fighting against President Bashar al-Assad were al-Nusra Front, or al-Qaeda, and the Free Syrian Army. Then came a pivotal moment that most Americans aren't even aware of. In June of 2013, a northern general for the Free Syrian Army spoke out on Al Jazeera Qatar and stated that if international forces did not send weapons, the rebels attempting to overthrow Syrian President Bashar al-Assad would lose their war in just one month. Well, only months before, I had personally confronted President Obama about why the U.S. was covertly funding those Syrian rebels. And yet there's some concern about the U.S. funding uh, the Syrian opposition when there are a lot of reports that al-Qaeda is kind of heading up that opposition. How do you justify the two? Well, I I share that concern. Uh, And so uh, what we've done is to say we will provide non-lethal assistance to Syrian opposition leadership that are committed to a political transition, committed to uh, a... uh, an observance of human rights, we're not going to just dive in and get involved with a civil war that in fact uh, involves some elements of people who are genuinely trying to get a better life, but also involve uh, some folks who would over the long term do uh, the United States harm. So even as the president acted as if he was being careful, politicians like Senator John McCain demanded action. So it's a totally unfair and unbalanced fight. And now the rebels are the freedom fighters. The, uh, the Syrian National Army are, uh, are being beaten every place around Syria because of the overwhelming firepower. And air power is really the deciding factor. So you've got to take their air power, power out of it. You've got to have a safe zone where they can operate, train, and equip. And uh, we've got to turn this thing around. So what happened? Well, within just a matter of weeks of that Syrian general making his plea for international help, the U.S., the Saudis, Jordan, Qatar, Turkey, and Israel began providing weapons and training and money to the so-called rebel Free Syrian Army. By September of 2013, American media outlets, including CNN and the Washington Post, were reporting that CIA-funded weapons had begun flowing to Syrian rebels. The weapons were not American-made, but funded and organized by the CIA. The artillery was described as light weapons, some anti-tank weapons and ammunition. But where it all fell apart, weapons that the U.S. insisted would be used by freedom fighters would be in less than one year in the hands of ISIS fighters. So where were these fighters coming from? Actually, from the Free Syrian Army, the group that John McCain insisted would help the U.S. to overthrow Assad. That same group actually giving weapons selling weapons, and sending fighters to join with this new group called the Islamic State. It was in June of 2014 when suddenly, after being a no-name group in Syria, that ISIS emerged, heavily armed and trained by U.S. and coalition special forces, making a dramatic entrance by crossing back over the Syrian border into Iraq, capturing Mosul and much of the northern part of the country. One of the most important facts that mainstream media ignores time and time again is that ISIS was able to grow so fast because of all the U.S. military equipment they were able to seize. Equipment that our military left in Iraq. Truckloads of Humvees, tanks and weaponry that instead of taking or destroying, the U.S. government simply decided to leave behind. Even when the U.S. government knew that ISIS fighters were capturing that equipment, For crying out loud, these guys were posting pictures of themselves driving and standing on U.S. military equipment, making video of themselves with it. We did nothing. Why? How is it the U.S. had no idea that this threat was coming? How many billions did we spend? Maybe $100 billion on the the total intelligence community budget over, over the year. How is it that they had no idea? How is it that if this was such a threat, 
as, uh, as um, John McCain and Lindsey Graham are fond of reminding us, how is it that it was missed so unbelievably, so egregiously? Over the past few months, the U.S. government, who acted like they had never even heard of ISIS, suddenly, with the help of media, has turned the Islamic State into the new focus of the war on terror. Now, as ISIS has continued its rise, recruitment is exploding, and the group is becoming stunningly wealthy. ISIS is the, is the best-funded terrorist group in the world. They make some, I think it's $2 million a day selling oil, much of it to Turkey, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, and if you look at the U.S. response to this, uh, the U.S. response to ISIS becoming extremely rich by selling oil and undercutting the competition is to blow up the oil fields, which to me makes no sense. You're blowing up the infrastructure. It happens to be in Syria, so you might think that there is a, uh, another motive there. But why wouldn't you, the U.S. sanctions anything that moves when it's angry? Why can't you sanction the banks that are helping finance these deals? Why can't you sanction the oil companies that are participating in this? Why do you blow up the oil fields? It's a great question. And here are some other questions that defy logic when you start looking for answers. Why is the U.S. sending $500 million to the Free Syrian Army to fight ISIS when the FSA is one of the biggest suppliers of fighters and weapons to ISIS? Why are we sending new and more powerful weapons to the FSA like anti-aircraft missiles, weapons that we know will end up in the hands of ISIS? ISIS, of course, is going to now have anti-aircraft missiles provided by the U.S. and the Saudis. The Saudis got, are getting them from the Chinese, though, now, so there can be plausible deniability because inevitably these sweethearts in the sweetheart rebel groups in Syria are going to start shooting down, if they have the ability, passenger, passenger jets. And then we're going to want the plausible deniability. Say, no, 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 it's the Chinese weaponry, as if it's going to make any difference. Well, there are so many questions that we could ask. But let's just cut to the chase here, because what you need to know about this is that ISIS is not the creation of American inaction, which is what the media is going to tell you. No, they are the product of direct action. First, the action of creating a power vacuum in Iraq, and secondly, arming violent jihadists, hoping they would overthrow a leader in a neighboring Middle Eastern country. McAdams says the U.S. government is a victim of its own insane policies. Well, I think the U.S. is really a hostage to its own regime change philosophy. Uh, you know, the U.S. is very good at blowing things up and destroying societies, but it is very, very bad at putting them back together. Is that true? Well, you decide. Fact. Our government armed Osama bin Laden and the Mujahideen in Afghanistan and created al-Qaeda. Fact. Our government helped supply Saddam Hussein chemical weapons for him to use against Iran in 1980 and then overthrew him in 2003. Fact, our government trained rebel fighters in Syria who have become the group today known as ISIS or the Islamic State. We have watched them commit every violent atrocity that you can imagine to people living in Iraq and Syria. And now we want American taxpayers to fund a 30-year war against them. No, it's not the U.S. government being held hostage by these crazy policies. It's the American people. And it's time that we reject the destruction of people groups around the world for the sake of foreign policy that makes so-called defense contractors rich and perpetuates violence, death, and destruction of entire people groups. Because humanity is greater than politics. And there you have it, a very good report by Ben Swan, and uh, check him out on YouTube. There's a lot of good reports, and you can subscribe to his channel, you can subscribe to his website so you get daily updates. Uh, we're f Okay, so on the one hand, we're funding ISIS through, with taxpayer dollars, and on the other hand, we're bashing them. And you can't tell me that these people don't know what they're doing. You know, Bob Brutus and I um, talked about this on Monday night, that they are there to sow the seeds of chaos in the Middle East so that it drums up the um, drums up the war effort here in America and other places so that we go and, and bomb the you-know-what out of them. So we're, we're funding them, and yet we're bombing them at the same time. So it's a double dip for the government and completely egregious and probably treasonous.
it is treasonous. If we're support, if you support the enemy of your country, that's treason. You know, giving them materials, giving them weapons. <laughs> you know, as the report said, they stole thousands of weapons, Humvees, armored vehicles, you name it. They got it. And where did they get it from? The United States government, the stuff we left behind. The Iraqi military was never built up to the point where they could withstand ISIS or anybody else on their own. And so now Iran has sent over militias, Shiite militias, to help the army fight this threat that was manufactured by international governments in the first place. It's like saying uh, 2 plus 2 is 10, or, you know, it just makes no sense. But yet, good is bad, and bad is good. Everything's been turned upside down today. Once again, we covered a lot of this Monday night. And people really don't care. I mean, they sit on Facebook and they rip on this. And yes, the things they're, they're doing are atrocious. And as Pastor Baldwin said in a previous column, you know, killing in the name of God is never right, no matter who it is. So that being said, it's just unbelievable that the American people are, while their iPads and iPods are working, they don't, they don't see the bigger picture. Nobody looks at, okay, who's really behind this and why? They just read the headlines, see the pictures, and go, oh, that's terrible. Screw ISIS, yada, yada, yada. Or Hillary or Obama. Folks, this is all being manufactured behind the scenes. Bill Clinton himself has been on record saying, once I got elected president, it was easy because the decisions were all made for you. Now, that's not an exact quote, but it's close enough. Look it up if you don't believe me. So it's all out there. You just got to do a little digging and, and thinking for yourself. And unfortunately, we don't have enough of that going on today. Like I say, people see the pictures, read the headlines, and then they automatically respond. And that's what they want you to do. They want you to be programmed that way. So that when they cause the chaos, then you're all concerned and you get all fired up. And it's also the way they single you out. So don't play their game. You know, do your own thinking, do your own research. Okay, enough on that. I'm going to bring Chuck in the show here in about seven, eight minutes. So in the meantime, I'm going to play you a little 3CK music. He's a Christian rap artist. I've had him on the show before, so I have permission to play his music. (laughs) And it's called um, Fight the Fear. So enjoy that. And when I come back, we will have Pastor Chuck Baldwin with us on the show. Hang on. Truth is absolute in every element 
put the same mold. Your life is like a house that's about to foreclose. Instead, invest in gold. But what's I gonna do if your world spins out of control? We've been breaking parole, trying to avoid the patrol. I fight the port in your soul. I'm like the voice in the hole. Telling you to stop thinking, living life is a mole. Living a life of self-absorption and that's got the king designed. By abortion, we give ourselves life by killing the future. And on the TV to see who's the biggest loser. It seems all so backwards. See things in my eyes that no camera can capture. Sleepwalking zombies, the only but hope. Death might to distract you. You don't see through the smoke. For me, this is a joke. But others never caught the punchlines. So I'm punchlines out of my throat. Okay, had a little technical problem there. I had to scramble on on Blog Talk Radio here to get this uh, call in to work, but we've got it to work now. So Pastor Chuck Baldwin, um, his credentials are are incredible. Uh, ran for the Consti- ran for president and the Constitution Party in '08. '07 um, is when I really caught on to him. <clears throat> he's the pastor of Liberty Fellowship Church in Montana. And he's written tons of good books, including one on Romans 13 that I definitely recommend. Also, To Keep and Bear Arms Where Christians to Keep Their Guns is another one he wrote with his son, Timothy, as well as Romans 13. Timothy was involved there as well. So they just they cover it from a biblical perspective so that, um, you know, we can be right with God and be confident in what we're doing. So without further ado, I will bring up Pastor Chuck Baldwin. And Pastor, welcome back to the show. Pastor, you there? John, it's great to be with you. Awesome. Good to have you back, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. So, and uh, I was giving you a, a nice introduction there about all of your credentials and books you've written. And and uh, what I'd like to get into first is this Israel First movement. You know, we've talked in the past on this show about John Hagee and the um, Christians United for Israel and where they're off base. So... In a biblical, from a biblical perspective, can you tell folks why we're not supposed to worship Netanyahu and the land of Israel, but rather the God of Israel? Can you help us reconcile that, please? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, recognize that when it comes to this subject, that there are several schools of thought in theological circles. I mean, yeah. you could get you know ten or a hundred of the top scholars in the country together, and you would not come up with a, a consensus on this subject. I mean, there's a there's a wide variety of opinion, scholarly opinion, relative to eschatology in general and the land of Israel and, and the people of Israel in particular. So, you know, let's understand that there is a, a wide variety of thought and has been ever since, the, you know, the church began Basically, as I see it, there are nuances to this, but there is the group that believes that Christ fulfilled all of the Abrahamic promises given to Israel and that those promises are now resident in the church, which is neither Jew nor Gentile, bond or free. We're all one in Christ. And therefore, there is no future Davidic kingdom. The second school of thought is that no, there is a future Davidic kingdom. Yes, we we are one in Christ in the church today, but God will not will not abandon His promise that He made to David, and that that when Christ returns again, that He will establish that Davidic kingdom over Israel. So those are the kind of the basically the, the, the two schools of thought. Very, that's a very general summer, of course. Well, now, no, and that's you know, with, to keep it general. With, that's good. I'm sorry. No, I'm I'm sorry. I just I said that's good. Keep it general, and that's awesome. Well, no, I just want to give. I mean, because we could go into a very long, detailed discussion here, and that that really wouldn't be the purpose of your show. But I want to give that background. 
you know, mm-hmm. I was raised, and maybe you were too, in in this idea that that the modern state of Israel, the one that was created in 1948 by the United Nations, is the is the future Israel promised in the in the Old Testament, and therefore all of the all of the promises that God gave to Abraham relative to future Israel are applicable to modern Israel. You know, I was raised in that school of thought. And when I went to college, the, every every college I I went to, Bible college taught that that same philosophy. Most people who are um dispensationalist in, in theology will embrace this. Um this most of your Baptists, your your Pentecostals, your your charismatics your Bible churches, your Dallas Seminary folks, you know, most of those are going to teach this version of of uh, biblical theology that modern Israel, the modern state of Israel, is the fulfillment of the promised Israel in the Old Testament. Again, going back to the school of thought that believe that there is what it is such. If you're in the school of thought that the church is the fulfillment of all of the promises to Israel, which would include many of your Calvinists, your Reform theology people, Presbyterians, uh, folks of, uh, of you know uh, of those sort, you know, would more or less postmillennialists would would subscribe to that version of theology. Here, here's 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 my problem, I've, and I've studied a lot of this. I've I've studied this a lot, and I've you know I've I've had a a, a change of heart in terms of my personal interpretation. I still believe that there is a future Davidic kingdom. I, I do believe that. I believe that God has a a promise to David, and, and he will fulfill that promise to David, and that there will be a future Davidic kingdom in which Christ and David will rule. But here's the thing. The big question is, does the modern state of Israel have anything to do with the future Israel of the Bible? And it's my opinion that it does not. There's no, in my in my opinion, in my studied opinion, there there is no correlation or, or relationship between the modern state of Israel and the future Israel of the of the promised uh, Davidic kingdom. So I I. I had to bring this to my people, and I and I preached four messages relative to this, and I, I call it the Church and Israel. And in the four messages, I preached number one, the presentation and rejection of the King. Johnny, what that means is, when Jesus came unto His own, and His own received Him not, they rejected Him as Messiah. The Jews rejected Him as Messiah, and and through the influence of the Pharisees, they crucified Him on the cross. Jesus in Matthew 24 predicted the destruction of Jerusalem. And I know that most every preacher today that talks about Matthew 24 will talk about it as a sign of the second coming of Christ. And I believe that's absolutely an error. Every commentator that I've read previous to the year 1900 believed that Matthew 24 was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, the rejection of Israel, the destruction of the Pharisees, the temple, the holy city, and that you know he came unto his own, his own received him not, that he was now going to the Gentiles, that the age of Israel was over. That was the theme of Matthew 24, and I, and I bring that out in message number one. Message number two is from the book of Hebrews chapter 7, a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's extremely important because there's a lot of Christians today that are trying to go back into a form of Judaism. And, you know, when you read the book of Galatians and the book of Hebrews, one of the things that you you should be able to readily see is that, you know, that the church today is is not a reincarnation of Old Testament Judaism. And Paul rebuked the Christians of Galatia for allowing the Judaizers to, to infiltrate the church and bring the theology of Judaism as mandatory for the church. And that was the whole theme of the book of Galatians. In Hebrews 7, he makes it very clear that the Old Testament priesthood was fulfilled in Christ, that it is it is over, 
There is no Levitical priesthood today for the church. The priesthood of Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek, according to Hebrews 7, and not according to uh, Levi or the, or, the, or the priesthood of Levi. That's a, that's a critically important understanding. And I go into that in depth in message number two. And if people don't get that, they're, they're, they're not going to get this whole, this whole picture. Number three, Jesus, the seed of David, the seed of Abraham. In Galatians chapter three, it's very clear that Jesus is the seed of Abraham that was referred to in, in Genesis chapter 12. Most of these Christians that believe that the modern state of Israel is, is tantamount to future Israel, guys like John Agee, etc., they all preach that the promise, I will bless them, the bless thee, curse them, the curse thee, etc., is talking about the, the nation of Israel in general. That's not true. It, it, it didn't mean that in, in the beginning in Genesis chapter 12 when it was stated, and it, didn't, it doesn't mean it now. Galatians chapter 3 is very clear that the seed of Abraham that in which all the nations of the earth will be blessed is Christ. Not yeah, the Jewish so. people in general, not the nation of Israel in particular, but it's a seed singular, not seeds plural, and that's message number three. And then number, number four, Christ's last words to Israel. In Matthew, in Matthew 23, Jesus gave his final word to the nation of Israel. The final word to the nation of Israel. And that's message number four. And so what we try to show is that whether you believe that Israel is incorporated into the church today, as, as many of your post-millennialists do, or whether you believe that there's a future state of Israel, as you know your premillennialists do, it really doesn't matter. The interpretation that John Hagee and these other guys are are teaching regarding you know this almost an Israel first mindset, you know somehow yeah, or another we are exactly obligated. Right. Yeah, it's it, it's an error. It's a total erroneous interpretation of Scripture. In fact, I would say that Genesis chapter twelve, the "I will bless them" portion of Scripture. Uh-huh. is just as problematic to America as Romans 13, obey them and have the rule over you. I mean, the, the misinterpretation of those two chapters go hand in hand, and they are the cause of so much of what we see going on today with this this preoccupation that we have with war and, yeah. and fomenting war, especially in the Middle East. You know, bomb Iran, bomb Syria. You know, I've had Christians, supposedly Christian men, say to me, "You know, we ought to, we ought to wipe every Muslim off of the face of the earth." <laughs> I hear that all the time. I, mean, I, I hear I, it I all the time. Okay, well, wow. I mean, you say, well, really, wow. You know, I thought we were supposed to give the gospel to to the peoples of the world. You know, I thought we were to love people in the love of Christ. And by the way, I have another three part message on Muslims that people might be interested in. But, you know, they have totally been brainwashed by this Hagee version of of Israel first theology. And, you know, Benjamin Netanyahu, this guy is as much a a puppet for the New World Order as any national leader in the world. Netanyahu is a a consistent, constant liar. Uh, He is a he is a fomenter of hatred and war the things that that his regime has done to the palestinian people is unconscionable including let's not forget among the palestinian people there are thousands and tens of thousands of christians yeah and amen. you know christians are in america are are cheerleaders for the persecution and the the death and destruction of many of their brothers and sisters in Christ in Palestine because of this this unbelievable unscriptural support for guys like Benjamin Netanyahu. I mean, I don't know that it would have mattered if he would have lost or not yet in, in the elections yesterday, but the fact that he won all that means is is more of the same when it when it comes to this fomenting of war. I, if if we're not careful, Johnny. The Christians and the Republicans whom they support on Capitol Hill 
are going to lead this country into World War III, and it's going to be a nuclear war, and it's going to be a war that nobody wants, including the Christians, after the first bomb goes off, they'll rue the day that they ever got up and, and you know, followed John Hagee into this war camp. But that, that that's how serious this stuff is, and, and it's not good. Well, and that gets us into the uh, good old rapture cult, that I call it anyway, that I was part of for eight years in the church I left. You know, oh, we don't have to worry about that, Pastor Chuck, because you know what? We're going to be gone. <laughs> but what if good you're point. not? Yeah, good point. That's right. That's their escape. Exactly. Hagee preaches that. They all preach that. Yeah, they're, they're here, you know, think about it. They they want to go ahead and be a, be part of, of starting a, a nuclear war. You know, they want to wipe out the Muslim countries. Or they, you know, they want war with Russia. And you know, they, but but when it all happens, then, you know, the, the rapture is going to happen, and they're going to be gone, and they're not going to experience all of it. I mean, boy, oh boy, oh boy, what kind, what kind of thinking is that? You know, look here. I mean, I want to help start this war, but after it starts, and I'm leaving. I'm you know, I'm getting out of here. I don't have to worry about it. Well, you know, the fact is that they may or may not be raptured out. And if they're not, uh, they are going to be every much a part of this as anyone else in the world, and it's not going to be pretty. Well, and, uh, you know, my defense on the on not believing in the rapture is you'd have to take Matthew 24 and twist the verses around and, order, you know, switch the order of the verses in Scripture in order to make it fit. Uh, Jesus didn't talk about that at all. He talked about no, coming one about time. Yeah, he was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in Matthew 24. Well, they use First Thessalonians and, and other verses, and of course, I was schooled in that as as well. But my opinion is, whether you believe in it or whether you don't, the idea that you would circumvent the plain teaching of Scripture relative to the church and and mix it with this this weird a combination of of part New Testament, part Old Testament, part church, part Jew, um, you know, mixing this all up and then using that as a a, a, uh, a predicate to, to influence our political activity in our country, leading us to war, you know, almost like it's a holy war. And I make it very clear yeah. that my Muslim message is that there's no such thing as a holy war. and But to them it is. It, it, it is a distortion of Scripture unlike we have seen in the 20th century, in now 21st century. So, you know, whether one believes in, in premillennial, postmillennial, whether they're, you know, amillennial, pre-trib, post-trib, rapture, non-rapture, it, it, that really isn't the point. The the point is that they have taken scripture completely out of context, made a brand new doctrine out of, doctrine out of it. A, a, I would call it a war doctrine, and are trying to influence our political policies predicated on this this twisted religious theological war doctrine that they've come up with. It, it's just it's incredible. It's 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 incredible. It's 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 twisted. In my opinion, it's perverse. And if if we don't get a handle on it, these people are going to lead us right into World War Three. Yeah, so that was what I was going to say. It's extremely dangerous too. I mean, and so many people. I mean, I see it on Facebook all the time, Twitter all the time. You know, they're just they just blast you if you don't stand up for them, like John Hagee says, and. There you have it. So, and then the rapture thing too. You know, I get blasted for that, but I'm in good company because you do as well. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. If you read my, my Facebook comments over the last uh, month or so, uh, if if these people, so-called Christians, if they had the legal power to do it, they would do to me what they did to the Old Testament prophets in, in Israel. There's no doubt about it. I mean, there, oh, and that's, that's another part of the equation that I have to ask: Where, Where's the Christian love gone to? Yeah, exactly. What's, Where'd happened, go? what's happened to Christian love? What, what's happened to it? You know, God so loved the world, anymore. He gave His only begotten Son. I mean, we're we're commanded to love one another. We're commanded to take the gospel to the world. We're, we're commanded to 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 love the souls of mankind. 
and to preach the gospel to them as a church and as a as a Christian. That that is our mandate. No, yeah. where where did we where along the line did we lose that? And become well, so many this hateful Yeah, go ahead, this, hateful. This, yeah, the the hateful warmongering uh people that we that we see today representing Christianity. Where where did that come from? That's a good that's a great question. And <laughs> I have no idea, but I don't see any love anywhere and as uh Bob Brutus and I discussed on my show Monday night uh, he's a frequent guest on the program. You know, there's a lot of people out there representing Christianity that are not Christ-like at all. You know, you just mentioned the love, where to go. Well, that's what he talked about the most. Love God and love others as, as yourself. And, you know, treat treat your neighbors with love and kindness. And that's what mm-hmm. he was about. And yet it's gone in the modern-day church. And speaking of that... um. We'll get to your column that you wrote last night as well, and part of it included Romans 13 again. And this is a, your Facebook column. I highly recommend people read it, by the way. Uh, and just this morning, just this morning, Pastor, I, I get daily um, Bible Bible study tools in my email, and one of them was written by Mike Alteredge from the Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. And he writes, um, the title of it is, Why You Should Think Twice Before Bad-Mouthing Obama. And, of course, I'll just read an excerpt here um, that will get us right to the point. <clears throat> we must honor those in power above us because God placed them there and gave them their authority. Paul said, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, God calls us to honor President Obama. Doesn't, this does not mean we have to like him or agree with him in anything he does or believe he's a good president. But we must honor him in our hearts and with our speech. Uh, so a believer, for a believer in Jesus to call President Obama an idiot is a sin, not just against the president, but against God. Holy buckets there. That excerpt right there sums up what you've been talking about for years. Uh, well, again, <laughs> again, they quote Romans 13. You know, and... Right. I agree. I agree with him in the sense that we respect the office of, of president. Right. You know, there's no question about that. Um, I, I think any 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 true Christian would would understand that we we reverence and respect the the office of um, president or or you know mayor or governor or, or whatever it might be. The, you know the the office itself is is worthy of of honor and respect that that we understand that 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 principle is is true but if i'm re, if i'm hearing what you're what you're quoting there correctly what he's suggesting is because because we respect the office we can't publicly refute or rebut or redress or Take issue with, or attack his policies, etc. No, that's that's nonsensical. I mean, that's the same thing that that Hitler taught the the people of Germany when the Third Reich was coming into power. You know, is it? Yep. You don't. You don't. You you know. You, Romans thirteen. You submit to the authority, and you don't question the authority because there's no authority but of God. And if God didn't want Hitler to be you know, the Chancellor of Germany, then he wouldn't be here. Because he is here, that means he's of God, that means you must submit. I mean, that's the tyrant's favorite Bible passage. Yes, <laughs> it is. I, I mean, so would, would this guy you're talking about, would he say the same thing about Hitler? Would he say the same thing about Stalin or Mao Zedong? Or, you know, is it just America? I mean, these, you know, we have been so... I think we've been so blessed as a country for so long, and we've not gone through the realities and the hardships of oppression and servitude and totalitarianism and so forth. You know that these guys are speaking out of a out of a theology book that's almost um, it's almost a fantasy world. You know, it's like there's no real world application whatsoever, except for the fact that. Okay, let's just everybody do what what you know what the powers that be. Well, boy, you know how easy is that? 
And then how far <laughs> yeah. how far do you do you take it? And what do you do with Daniel? What do you do with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And what do you do with David? And what do you do with you know Jeremiah, Micaiah? What do you do with John? And what do you do with the apostles? We ought to obey God rather than man. Paul spent as much time in jail as he did out of jail. I mean, if you took away the examples from the Bible of men and women who resisted civil government in one form or another, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but it would be a high percentage of the entire Scripture you would you would remove from from the Scripture. Yeah, you talked about it real well on this column, you know, that you know, the prophets were never popular and they were essentially all alone, as do and I feel sometimes. And yet yeah, you know, do. they were <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but they stood and they stood strong. And of course the, the like you say, the King's prophets didn't want that to be told because you know, they're gonna lose their money and their status and their exemptions. So, yep. you know, that's the same thing the church is hooked on today. You know, the the majority of them are 501c3 churches, and if they're not getting direct government money, they're at least exempt from the taxes. And boy, do they like to tout that, you know, come tax time. You know, make sure you get your statements and yada, yada. I heard it every year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? And not only that, and but you'd be surprised how many, how many are getting direct federal monies from uh, – G.W. Bush's faith-based initiative that he created, and Obama continues. So there are church, there are thousands, thousands of churches across the country that are receiving tax dollars from the federal government. Um, you know, what, what's what's happened? They've bought their silence. Yeah. The federal government has bought the silence of the pulpits. Yep. Now, you also talked in one of your other columns about um, Franklin Graham and uh, what he had to say about the police shootings and so forth, which I thought was very powerful. Would you would you get into that a little bit more um, about what scripture he's using here and why it's wrong? Yeah. Well. Well, first of all, he he used the wrong scripture. He, he should have used Romans 13 if he was going to use anything, but he used uh, Hebrews chapter 13, which was referring to pastors and and the, their church members, and the relationship between the, the church member and the pastor, and and the respect, the reverence, and the submission that a church member has for the pastor. That was the discussion in Hebrews chapter 13. So. You know the question I brought up to Mr. Graham and, and to others like him is okay. So, if you're going to use Hebrews 13 as you would Romans 13, so does that mean that church members are are required by God to obey their pastors in everything? You know, no matter what, no matter what your pastor tells you to do, you got to do it. Well, I don't know a preacher in the in the world that would ever preach a message like that. There's there's nobody. That would pre- Franklin Graham wouldn't preach a message like that, even though he's using the scripture to try and you know. But when it comes to civil government, then we're supposed to obey no matter what. Just obey. Don't think about it, right or wrong. No matter what, just obey. But that doesn't apply in the church. That doesn't apply in the home. The father and the husband has authority in the home, according to Ephesians six. But does that give the husband and the father the right to abuse his family? Can he beat his kids? Can he abuse his children, his wife? Does he have the right under God to do that? Because I'm the I'm the head of my home. I can do anything I want. You got to submit to me no matter what. No, there's nobody that's going to accept that. In the workplace, no. the employer does he have the right to tell employees anything he wants them to do, whether it's right, immoral? Illegal, whatever. No, and I mean in in any other sphere of of our relationship with fellow man, and in a, in our in our submission to authorities over us, never is there a command that we must submit, no matter what, no matter how awful, no matter how horrible, we must submit, except 
when it comes to civil government in Romans 13. Then you got Franklin Graham and 90% of the rest of the pastors in America standing up and say, do what they say no matter what. Turn in your guns. You know, relocate. You know, national emergency. Do whatever they say. Uh, it's, 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 <laughs> go to your FEMA <laughs> camp and get some shots. <laughs> yeah, go. It's you know we got you know requ- this required vaccination now that's that's really becoming vogue on Capitol Hill. You got Dr. Ben Carson, one of the favorites of conservatives. He's touting forced vaccinations. You've got a lot of people that are you know saying they're they're couching it in public health terms and so forth. You know where's where's it going to end, Johnny? I mean, you know, these Christian pastors are doing more, and this is the the pretty much the focus of my column on facebook mm-hmm. and and my column that's coming out this week is is more of my Facebook, but the Facebook is just a condensed version of what's coming out uh, today and tomorrow with my column. And, and basically the theme is that America's pastors are doing more to enslave our country than any foreign than any foreign power. And I really believe that because this Romans 13 stuff that there that is poison. It's taking courageous Christian men and it's turning them into wimps, milk toast, pacifist Christians that can't stand for anything and it, it's enslaving our country it's it's the pulpits of america that are doing it somehow or another the church has got to wake up and realize what the pastors are doing to them i just hope that the churches wake up before you know the bombs go off you know that's that's the thing that that concerns me like you said earlier you know they're leading us down the path to to world war three nuclear war and you know, the Bible does talk about the third of the earth being burned up in prophecy, and that could very well be a nuclear weapon. We don't know for sure, but it's possible. Well, but, uh, you know, we don't know what God has in mind, and we're certainly not smart enough to figure out what God wants to do in, in terms of his sovereign nope. will. So, you know, are we? Are, do we want nuclear war? Is that the idea? We we Christians, we do we really, is this what we want? I mean, do we do That's, we want war? Do we want world war? Do we want global war? Do we want nuclear war? Do we want police state? Do we want martial law? Do we want our our children to grow up in a modern version of what we what we saw in the Hunger Games? I mean, do we really want that? Are we, are we do we want to go back to the old world of Mao and Lenin and Hitler and Pol Pot and and you know, it is what's wrong with us? It's almost like a blindness has settled over the church, and they and they're not able to see the you know what is going on in front of them. So you know, Johnny, I you know I I still believe that it, you know, that's why I'm doing the Liberty Church Project. That's why we're trying to get people out of the five hundred one c three. That's why we're you know we're trying to 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 get Christians to wake up to the need that if the pastor where you go to church isn't preaching the truth in these areas, you need to find one that is and stop Mm -hmm. supporting these church, these government churches that are leading us, you know, down the primrose path. Uh, You know, at some point the church has got to wake up. I I don't, you know, I don't know what it's going to take for it to happen, but at at some point it's got to wake up or the, uh, the only other option is, all of the above, the things that that we've been talking about today, and we, uh, they don't want that. They, they, the, these Christians that are touting this, they don't want that. They don't. They really don't want that. And and if, if at some point, if if they recognize what they're doing, maybe they can come to their senses in time to to turn this thing around. I sure hope so. I hope so too. That's why you're doing what you do, and why I'm why I'm doing what I do to try and get that message out, and wake a few people up. Can that's I give out the website do. so people can uh, order the, uh, yes. the DVD that we talked about? That's what I was just going to suggest. Yeah. Go right ahead, sir. Thank you very much, Johnny. Yeah, if if your listeners would go to my website, chuckbaldwinlive.com. That's B-A-L-D-W-I-N, chuckbaldwinlive.com. 
And we've got the uh, the video, the church in Israel that we talked a little bit about earlier in the show, as well uh-huh. as my I got a three series DVD on the Muslim problem. I've got a three sermon DVD on Christ and the Pharisees. These are all really really relevant to the stuff that we're talking about today, and people can order that on the website. And of course, my column that you referred to will be coming out. Um, on, on the website nationally, it'll be released tomorrow, and uh, the the Facebook post is a kind of a condensed version of that. So if they go to my Facebook page, they can read that as well. And, and I, I also encourage you and, and and then the like. If you go to my Facebook page and like it, please uh, please like my Facebook page. That'd be great. Yes, and, and put some good comments in there instead of blasting them all the time, yeah. folks. Oh, <laughs> Give them a little encouragement here. We all need that once in a while, don't we? <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, for sure. It, it was kind of funny last night. I was I was doing some research before I went to bed, and then, boom, there your column was. <laughs> you know, the condensed version on Facebook, and I'm like, so I left you a comment, and you left some back. It was kind of ironic because there was my research right in front of me for today. So... <laughs> Good timing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know it, man. It's 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 unbelievable, and it, again, it goes back to what they're being taught. You know, yeah, they absolutely. they really don't know anything else. They're, that's all they know. They're, that's what they're being taught. People like Franklin Graham, you know, pe- people like John Hagee, then their pastor re- regurgitates it every Sunday. That's that's all they know. That's all they're being taught. They don't know anything else, and it's. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's a very I mean we are in a very very precarious situation in our country today we really are it sure seems like we're teetering on the edge of something and it's not it doesn't look good so I guess all we can do as as watchmen is keep on keeping on I guess for lack of well, a better good term thing right is now that, yeah the good thing is Johnny you and I are still here <laughs> yes we are <laughs> we haven't been raptured yet and, we're still and, here. <laughs> and there's a whole bunch and there's a whole bunch out there like us. So we're we're not we're not gone yet, that's for sure. No, not yet. But when we do we'll be seeing the glory. So amen to that. Either way. Uh, yes, either way. Well thank you so much, Pastor, for coming back on the show. I really appreciate it. And uh I've also put your link to the site on the show page so people can find it even you know, easier if they forgot the uh Baldwinlive dot com thing. So okay. I'll keep pumping it out thank there. You. Thank you very much. You, I Claire. appreciate it so much. All right. All right. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye-bye. Pastor Chuck Wallen, ladies and gentlemen. Um, awesome. Good stuff there. I hope that you got something out of it today, uh, not just from me. There you're hearing from a pastor of, you know, going on 40 years, I believe. So he's been doing a lot longer than I have, put it that way. And we really appreciate him, and may God bless him and his church um, at uh, in Kalispell Liberty Fellowship. I got to say, folks, I'm blessed to be where I'm at here in Montana because I've got um, Oath Keepers and Chuck Baldwin and a lot of good people out here that believe the same way. And Chuck didn't relocate from Florida after 30 plus years all the way up here to Montana. If it wasn't there wasn't a good reason to do so. He saw a lot of freedom loving people up here that that just overwhelmed him and when he was campaigning for president in 08 with the Constitution Party. And so therefore he relocated and took a lot of flack for it in my dad. So please support the man and uh like his page on Facebook and also check out his website. There's a lot of good information on his DVDs. I've got a couple of them and uh, Romans 13 is out there, you know, not just the book, but he's got a four-part message on DVD, and it's just awesome. You, know, you learn so much, and uh, it really turned my views around from my erroneous thinking on scriptures. So, anyway, moving on, um, I guess one show for today. I did schedule it for an hour and a half. I was going to schedule it for an hour, but I figured we may go over. So. I'll end it for today as um, my day is going to continue on with other things, but I'll be back next week on Monday night, and we'll go from there. In the meantime, God bless you, and don't lose hope. There's still people like Chuck and I out there 
and there's many others out there. Just keep reading the blogs, keep reading, keep listening to the shows, and send me your feedback. You, know, you can find Johnny, the Johnny Storm Show on Facebook. You can go to thejohnnystormshow.com. Now, there's no the in there. It's just johnnystormshow.com with two ends. So johnnystormshow.com. And I've got a blog on there that I'm going to be adding more to. Uh, also, you can listen to my archive shows. There's links there on the front page. So I've got four years' worth of shows now. So go back and listen to them all if you want to. <laughs> you can disagree and, you know, you can um, give me constructive criticism, whatever. Or if you need prayer, just give me a call. Or not give me a call, but give me a, drop me an email, sorry. Okay, well, that's it for today. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the Johnny Storm Show.